With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Bassini. We are presented by The Athletic here on the show. With me today, Mark Schindler is in the building. I don't think I've ever screwed up the intro that much, Mark. What's going on, man? <laughs> You're doing your best. Uh, man, it has been uh, – I was telling you before we got here, it has been a busy couple of days. I was out in uh, yeah. South Bend, Indiana, which most people would assume it's uh, it's different from Ohio. It is not different from Ohio. Um, <laughs> it is uh, basically like if you just erase the border, Indiana and Ohio are the exact same thing, just a little bit flatter in Indiana. But it was a blast, man. I don't know if you've been to Purcell Pavilion, but really good venue for a basketball yeah. game. I had an absolute blast. I was out at uh, Notre Dame, UConn. Got a really great game. Um, so, yeah, I uh, I am having a good time, just a busy time. So, I am uh, hatted right now because I had a great time golfing this weekend. But I was so aggressive about putting on sunscreen on my face that I have, like, blocked up all my pores. And my face has, like, this weird – like, my forehead basically has this weird-looking, like – pimply thing going on Mm -hmm. and then also my scalp is just like burned because as many people who watch the show on youtube and on twitter and everything know your boy's balding and it's a uh, it's a tough time the the hair thinning is real boys and girls it's a it's a bad spot to be in mark you you gotta you can't age i'm not even old i'm trying my best not to uh it has been really difficult lately to not do that um but i'm i'm really i'm pull for me because i'm trying very hard not to i'm more i'm just hoping that it goes well for you but today on the show we're going to talk about a couple teams it's going well for a couple players it's going well for and a couple of players that it's you know just so so for right now so we're going to start with the new orleans pelicans who are on fire and are maybe the most exciting team to watch i think it's like them sacramento maybe boston i think is another really really fun team to watch but i want to talk about the pelicans who are on this awesome winning streak right now and have been really really good uh for the first quarter of the season at this point they're 15 and 8 and they're sitting in second place in the western conference then we're going to move and we're going to talk about the Atlanta Hawks, which is it's just a weird team for a number of different reasons that I want to talk about with Mark. Uh, injury riddled, obviously. They're dealing with a lot. They're dealing with just front court outs everywhere, it feels like. But also just a fascinating situation is they try to incorporate Trey Young and DeJounte Murray together while Trey isn't really playing his best right now. So trying to navigate you know, how those two work together when they're playing at their best is going to be really interesting. 
Then we're going to move to Scotty Barnes, who is, I would say, in the middle of a sophomore slump. I don't think that's unfair, right, Mark? Yeah, no, that's fair. Yeah, so, and just what's happening with Scotty Barnes? Mark and I obviously love talking about young players across the league. We think it's a really interesting topic right now, so we're going to dive into him. And then finally, our topic that did really well last week. We love talking about G.G. Jackson last week. So Mark's prospect of the week this week that we're going to dive into is Jet Howard. And I have a lot of thoughts on Jet Howard after having now watched, I think, three or four Michigan games. I I feel a little bit more equipped to talk about him. I know that we said we would talk about Jarris Walker this week on the show. But Houston has a really fun game coming up this weekend against Alabama. And we figured we would wait until after that Alabama game to dive into Jarris Walker just because it'll give us a really, really good, I think, level of scouting insight that maybe we haven't quite gotten totally yet with Jarris because he plays on a Houston team that is the best team in the country. And he hasn't gotten a ton of opportunity while on the ball all the time while also playing uh, in just a different, different kind of scheme. And then also uh, like having good games and like playing against good teams. It's just a weird deal with Jarris and I want more information, right, Mark? Yeah, I agree. And (laughs) then we get to talk about Brandon Miller too, who we haven't talked about yet, the two of us. So I'm excited about that as well. Yeah. And then the good news about today as well, because Michigan played Kentucky over the weekend, we're going to get to talk about one of my favorite prospects in this class, Case and Wallace, because Jet Howard and Case and Wallace matched up with each other a decent amount in that game against Michigan or that game with Michigan and Kentucky. So really, really excited to dive in there. But let's start with the Pelicans. So the Pelicans are on fire right now. They are absolutely, I think, the hottest team in the league, right? That's probably fair. Yeah, yeah, I think it would be right up there. When you look at – so I I did this – this probably has changed after yesterday. But yesterday morning, I filtered for teams that are playing in, you know, top 10 in in offense and defense over essentially the last 10 games of basketball. And it's been the Pels, the Celtics, the Kings, and uh, and the Warriors. And that definitely fell off for the Warriors last night. But that's remained true for the – for the other three teams. So um, it has been uh, – I, I agree, man. And, and there's so much to dive into with them. But the biggest thing for me is just Zion. Like, they have really started to lean into to just giving Zion the ball in the half court and operating from there. A ton of 4-5 pick and roll, which um, absolutely bludgeoned the Nuggets with how their defense has been to start the year. Um, I just – like, I, I think – I just want to take a moment and stop and just say – Zion Williamson's amazing, and I'm just happy to get to watch him play basketball. Like this, <laughs> like I, I just like I, I had to. I, he's one of the guys. Like it's obviously he's not LeBron, but it's in that same sense of like I just have to stop and remind myself like this guy is incredible. Like his intersection of skill, touch, athleticism, and size is unparalleled. Like there just are not 100%. people who can do that. And then he has an incredible feel for the game, and like I just. Getting to watch him fully realized and doing all this stuff uh, is just joyous to me because uh, there was, I mean, it was pretty up in the air with him for a little bit, um, just given what his injury status was. And um, so I'm just really happy to watch him play because this has been an absolute blast. And this Pell's roster is just totally my shit. Like I, I love their roster build so much. So I, I think that what's interesting about the Pelicans first and foremost is they're a top seven offense and top se- top three defense for the entirety of the season, let alone the last 10 games. Uh, they are 
really, really good on both ends. And yeah, I want to start with Zion, but like, I also want to start with the fact that I think they're the deepest team in the league, right? Like just across the board, you can go from, if CJ McCollum is out, you can make it work with Dyson Daniels and Jose Alvarado, both of whom have been really, really good this year. Oh, Herb Jones is out. Yeah, it's fine. We'll start Trey Murphy, Zion Williamson, and Jonas Valanciunas across the front court. If we need to go small, we can go with Lance or uh, Larry Nance to finish games, right? Lance, good lord. Hey, Lance uh, Stevenson, Pelicans legend. Never forget. <laughs> uh, you can go with Larry Nance to finish games, right? Uh, you know, if if you really want to continue to go big against a team like Denver, like they had to last night you have Willie Hernan Gomez to come off the bench and provide you with 15 minutes of just physical play against Nikola Jokic uh, when Jonas Valanciunas might get in foul trouble or might just need a break, right? So it's just the level to which that they can present problems for defenses. On top of the fact that right now, like Brandon Ingram, like didn't play last night, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, he's not even like totally there right now. And I don't think Brandon Ingram, I don't think they figured out like the best mix of all of these pieces yet in terms of when they operate at full capacity. I think their upside is even more immense than what it has been so far. So it's just such a fascinating group for a number of reasons in terms of depth. And I think we want to talk about some of those guys, especially Dyson and Jose Alvarado, just knowing the two of us Mm -hmm. later on. Right. But yeah, but more than that, I do think we want to start with Zion. And I just love the way that Willie green has taken lessons from early in Zion's career and has, you know, just obviously understood how good Zion is. They get him the ball on the move constantly. Right. Dribble handoffs constantly, um, letting him go in transition constantly. Yeah, they post him from time to time and it works, obviously, because he's so effective and so good as a basketball player. But just the way that they get him the ball, I think that they really have optimized his effectiveness at a really, really high level. And he's getting better, too. He's starting to really learn how to pass at a really, really high level. And that's another topic that I want to talk about after we get to Zion, just in terms of the way the team operates, but let's start there. I just love the way that the Pelicans use Zion Williamson and get the most out of him. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I completely agree. I think what, what you mentioned that is so interesting is um, I think there's not, not that I think people looked at him as like, you know, he's just going to be a strict like rim, rim roller or anything like that kind of prospect. But I think, What's just so fascinating about him is uh, he can just kind of do anything. Like, obviously, no, he's not a he's not a shooter. But like you mentioned, I think the burst that he has at his size is like incredible. So anything that steps into the catch is just like I, you can't really defend it. Um, like Aaron Gordon just got absolutely bulldozed multiple times, and Aaron Gordon's at least out on ball defender, and I mean Zion just absolutely ate him alive in the paint. Um, so I, I think, like, obviously, yes, he's, he's great at doing that. Like, you can fly him off of pin downs and into handoffs because he can turn corners really well. I think that's one of the things that yeah. has been so impressive about this year, seeing him back um, just at full health and, and full capacity is, like, his change of direction. Obviously, it doesn't play out quite the same on defense, but his change of direction with the ball in his hands is really impressive. Coming into, you know, off screens to get the ball in his hands, also that's really impressive. Um, but then, again, like, you, you take that strength and – you can do some post stuff with him. I, they haven't really leaned into that as much lately. Um, but again, just like they're doing a ton with him 
running screens with him and JV. And the synergy they have is actually really fun together. And it's looked good. And um, and then he's so effective as a screener. And you can, okay, have him screen and then flow into a screen or something. Like, there's there are just so many ways to use him. And it feels like they really have kind of leaned into that and figured out, hey, let's just get get funky with him, do as much as we can to to get exciting with him. And it's been, yeah, it's been very effective. Well, and the crazy thing is that I feel like they haven't even like completely optimized Zion as a ball handler and ball screens yet, Mm -hmm. because like, to me, the most devastating thing that they could possibly run is using CJ McCollum as a screener for him in the same way that Sam Van Gundy used to use JJ Redick as a screener for him. Yeah. Right. Like if you start using CJ as a screener, I I would imagine that they're going to do that. Like once they get to the playoffs and it's going to be really, really fun. Because CJ is an even better ball handler, even better decision maker. Like if you run like a ghost screen and CJ is just like flying up to like the opposite side wing and Zion hits that kick out, CJ is going to be able to attack that closeout to an even greater extent than what JJ was able to and get the team into rotation. Or he might just be able to shoot and be wide open because of the attention that has to be paid to Zion Williamson. The other thing that really, really stands out to me about Zion is – the defense is better. I don't want to say he is a plus defender now, but I think they've done a really, really good job of allowing him to kind of be more of the help roamer that he was at Duke. While he also, I think is taking more substantive and calculated risks than what he did early in his career as a help defender. And I think that, Yes, he's not like some elite level defender because I still think he gets beat on ball sometimes. And I think that, you know, sometimes he does make these, you know, wild reads and makes a mistake um, and struggles once he starts his momentum going one direction and he stops. It's hard to get him going backward. Right. Mm -hmm. So there's room to grow for Zion, I think, defensively, but he's already to the point now where he's not killing the Pelicans defensively anymore. Like that was a thing early in his career. He really struggled on that end. He's not struggling anymore on that end. Like he is okay to manage a lot of different matchups and he's actually fairly useful um, as a help defender now, kind of just making shit happen. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. Um, His help side rim protection has actually been really fun to watch. Like you mentioned, just him playing as a roamer has been incredibly effective. Um, Seeing him just, find more ways to to clean things up. I do think like, and this is more like just a a minor thing that I do think will matter more in the playoffs, but like his, uh, the only like real concern, maybe concerns even the wrong way to put it, but the only real action where I still feel like "Mm," is when he's on a movement shooter because they, they do like to switch and sometimes it can be pretty soft switching. And if they throw him on a movement shooter um, or if he gets switched onto a movement shooter, I think that's kind of where you're, um, you're, you're teetering a little bit. Um, yeah. And I think that showed up a little, especially in the first quarter of the, the Nuggets game. Um, he got a couple of inopportune switches. And like you mentioned, if he takes one step in the wrong direction, I do think it's a little bit harder for him to just get that same momentum going this, another way. But at the same time, too, like I just think that so often the the switches they get pointed out and be like, oh, well, you know, in the playoffs, I'm like, yeah, in the playoffs. But also it's just not as easy to force switches in the playoffs is I think it sometimes gets made out to be. Um, so I, I, I have some hesitancy, but also like you're saying, like there's, there's really good stuff going on there compared to what it's been in the past. 
Yeah, and and the other thing I want to bring up here is the way that they initiate their offense. Mm-hmm. They have so many guys that can like, just bring can the ball up the court. Offense, yeah. Brandon Ingram, Zion Williamson, C.J. McCollum, Dyson Daniels, uh, Jose Alvarado obviously is another one. I'm probably missing a like you could like let Larry Nance bring the ball up the court, and I feel okay about yeah, it. Yeah, they, right? they let CM three do it sometimes. Like it's, it's totally. Awesome. Herb can do it because Herb played a little bit of point at Alabama. Like it's, it's this concept almost where everything just flows. Right. And you see it like in the assist numbers, right? Like mm-hmm. Zion, like I don't have them in front of me right now. I'll pull them up as I'm talking, but like Zion is averaging like four assists a game or something like that. Um, CJ McCollum is averaging six. Brandon Ingram's averaging five. Herb Jones is averaging two. Jose Valanciunas is averaging two. Jose Alvarado is averaging three. Najee Marshall, Najee Marshall and Dyson Daniels and Devontae Graham, they play, you know, somewhere between 20 and 16 minutes a night, and they're averaging two assists per game. It's just that they move really, really well in concert with one another, mm-hmm. and everything just flows together. And I think that that's part of why their offense is so dangerous because they can initiate attacks from so many different angles with such unselfish ball movement while also just having really, really threatening offensive pieces out there. Yeah, no, exactly. I think what is so fascinating about this team too, is there's not like one concrete kind of guy that they have is in their wing room. Like they have so many different guys who can do things like Herb is expert at just finding gaps to attack and, and redrive um, and continue moving the ball. Um, TM3, like who I, I would kind of really want to write about this. I've literally, I've already written about Trey this year, but I just want to write more about him. I know, he's right? Fascinating. Um, like I went back and I, I like looked at this. I want to go and hand track some of the stuff. Um, but like I, I, I like I, I looked into it and over almost half of his shots this year are coming from two or three feet behind the three point line. Like, it, and like he's legitimately spotting up at like 30 feet and it's been yeah. like the the way that it it just makes a closeout that much harder especially if you're sending nail help and a lot of teams do like to send nail help against the the pelicans because a if you have zion driving the lane you have to send help at his handle because that's like one of the few areas where i won't even call it a weak spot but you can just try and hope to make him move the ball but also okay if cj mccollum's coming down um, you're trying to just make him pick up, pick up the ball. But again, like Trey Murphy's in the slot at 31, 32 feet, and he's he doesn't need to step into it. Like he's just going to shoot it. Yeah. And that is just wildly fun. And then Dyson, like saying, I think Dyson's a really fun blend of what Herb brings and just kind of adding another guard out there, like adding an extra element of playmaking and, and guile. And he, uh, his finishing is still like, he's still pretty contact averse, but like he has like good touch. He has some funkiness with his, his floater like it's just it's yep. awesome man like there's I, I don't mean to gush too much but like this team is just they're they're like my fun team i love them so much yeah and look like i had to do rookie rankings what three weeks ago at this point mm-hmm. and i couldn't really rank dyson daniels yet because he played i think like 180 minutes like at that point yeah. and you could see that it was coming right like every single minute he's been on the court he's been ready to go point blank He's an awesome team defender. He's a great ball mover. He's made threes to this point. He's picked Mm -hmm. his spots offensively, though, I think is the more important part. Like, yeah, he finishes at the rim when he gets an opportunity. He's a really smart cutter. He doesn't stop moving, I think is also like a critical thing here. He's just constantly moving. When he has the ball, he's probing. 
He is a consistent decision maker. He sees the court and processes things really, really well. These are all the reasons that I Dyson Daniels is a top seven player in this class. I think I might have even had him at six, if I remember correctly. So like, I, I love everything that Dyson has brought to the table. And I think he looks awesome and looks ready to be, if the shot falls at the level it has fallen so far, he's made 40% on limited attempts. Uh, if he even makes 35%, he's ready to be a playoff rotation player right now as a rookie because of the way that he processes things, the way he moves the ball. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Um, I And that actually brings up a fascinating point. Um, like, I don't know if you're ready to have this conversation yet, but it's been circulating about <laughs> should the – Pelicans quote unquote make an all in move. And I just uh I mean, I guess I, I I think I always tend to oscillate into it just depends on what the move is because I don't know what's available, things change, who knows? But like I look at this team and I don't really think that I feel there's a major hole that needs to be plugged who, by who, who is the all in move? Like that's exactly. my thing. Like yeah. like for I, I look if they could go get Kevin Durant, yeah, do it. Well, yeah. You compare yeah. Kevin Durant with Zion Williams. Like I was, I was all in on that, right? Like this summer, and I still feel that way. If you could go get Kevin Durant, sure, man, by all means, let's do it. But like, for instance, I see Jay Morris in the YouTube comments says Miles Turner. No, I, 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 think I don't like, need him it's, there. It's like, interesting because, like, what I see, like I, I've, I've heard that one a lot, and I just don't like. I, I don't think that it's uh, super necessary. Uh, to make like I, I love Miles and I think that he would bring things that are interesting to the Pelicans, but I also just like like I think you just lose a little bit of the offense with what JV brings. Like I know it's easy to look and be like, oh well, JV's only playing 21, 22 minutes a game. Like he's not, he's not this, he's not that. And I think he's just perfect for what they do. Um, like he, they love attacking the offensive glass. He's awesome at that. He's an awesome finisher. Um, he's an awesome screener, which again, really important because they, they really like, they don't have a guy who is like a standstill creator with the ball in their hands, in my opinion. So they really thrive on right. having him and Larry Nance be very good screeners for the ball handlers. Um, Miles and that, I think that, I think that that's the critical thing. The fact yeah. that they, they have a lot of guys that are good at handling the ball. They don't have like an ISO creator, especially when Brandon Ingram's out of the lineup and Brandon can do it. Brandon is the guy that can do it for them, but like, just being able to throw the ball on the block to Jonas is super valuable for like six yeah, minutes. It's a pressure a point. Like yeah. you can legit, you can, you can throw the ball to Jonas and he can draw doubles like routinely. And that's huge. Like I just, and then I like, again, not that he's Nikola Jokic or, or Bam Adebayo, but he is a very good passer for his size. Um, and he has like, he also just doesn't make boneheaded, boneheaded plays with the ball in his hands. Like he right. rarely is making like the wrong pass. He'll just, wait to make the right one. And I think like, again, when you're looking at a guy who you need to be more of a safety blanket, like that's perfect. Um, right. So yeah, I, I don't know. Again, like it, it tends to be just, it depends what it is. Um, I, I mean, maybe you could look and squint and say, well, if they had another, like a third big, but at the same time, I just don't know like who that third, third big is. And I really like what their personnel is already. Um so I just I don't know. Again, unless there's something that like absolutely blows you away, I'm pretty content at just you know hanging out with what we've got right now. Yeah, I'm just struggling to find who who the guy is there. Like I, I, 
if I was them, I would hold on to all of these pieces and see if they can get like the guy. Like I think they already have Zion. They already have um, Brandon Ingram. They already have CJ McCollum. They have Trey Murphy, Herb Jones, Dyson Daniels, all these guys that I think are super valuable pieces. They have so many dudes though. They're going to be in the mix at the highest, highest, highest level of any trade talk. They can get in for any player in the league. That is how many assets they have. Plus they have the picks coming still from Milwaukee. Plus they have the picks still coming from the Lakers. They have so many assets in their war chest that I wouldn't be using those assets to go and get, like if I could trade a first round pick for Miles Turner, maybe, sure, okay, whatever. But like if it's two first round picks and Kyra Lewis or something like that. Yeah. I'm not interested in that. Like I, I'm, I'm good just keeping those assets at the end of the day. So I, I guess that I would say I would consider the opportunity cost of moving in for someone like Miles Turner and instead hoard these assets. And then when Kevin Durant wants to leave Brooklyn, you, you are like the team in pole position if Kevin is willing to go there uh, because you have the most assets at the end of the day. Yeah. No, I think it's a fair point. And I also do like, I look, I, I mean, maybe things can change over the next month or two, but I look at this team and I like, I feel like they are a deep, deep playoff team. Like I thought headed into the year, this is a, I mean, I'm not trying to just like hide myself up. I, I said my to, on Twitter, I was like, I don't make bold predictions. I think this is the first new Orleans team that isn't a Hornets team that, that wins 50 games. And I think that they're more than on pace for that. Obviously you never know what happens with injuries, um, but yeah, I, this team really moves me. And that's without even like, we got I mean, Jose Alvarado just looks like Allen Iverson against the Nuggets. <laughs> you, you dropped. Oh, he was just career dropping high. them. Yeah. That was a incredible, incredible stuff. That is what I live for. Um, I love Jose Alvarado, but also I just want to point out, like, I, I can't remember if you and I have talked about this on here, but he's made legitimate improvements this year that have been Jose. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's totally. The shooting. Like, I think it goes yeah. in every time he's open, it feels like. Yeah, the shooting has really come along. And then more importantly, too, I think, like, that in turn, like, he's he's just found more confidence inside the arc. And I really yeah. like what he brings. Not not that he's a, quote-unquote, better fit than CJ um, with Zion, but what he brings is just really fun to have around Zion. Like, he's obviously more of a combo guard. Uh, obviously not in a combo guard's body, but, like, He's so good at utilizing the entire area of the floor without even necessarily getting all the way to the rim. Um, and he's just adept at making guys shift just enough to open up gaps and creases. And he's been really effective using that for his own scoring because he has pretty good touch inside the arc, despite being, you know, uh, blessed to be listed at five foot 11. Um, <laughs> and yeah, that, I mean, that, that has been really exciting to watch because I do think like that just like, I, I think, I mean, he, we've seen it. He's taken, uh, he's taken over Devonte Graham's spot in the rotation. Like Devonte still plays yeah. obviously because they play a deep rotation, but like he's moved into the second guard spot over the last couple of weeks and it's been warranted. He's been really good for them. Um, and I, I obviously I don't think that he's going to, you know, fill up, uh, the, the three pointers, like quite like that all year, but he really is improving as a movement shooter and um, you know, they've been able to use him more as a ghost screener and just doing exciting yeah. things in that way. And it's, it's just made him that more effective of a rotation player. He's not a novelty. Like he's a very real rotation player on a, on a good playoff team. 
So here is my next question. Typically these teams that play super deep, right? That play, you know, 10 or 11 guys. They tend to be the teams that are more regular season teams, right? I actually kind of think that this team is also built for the playoffs. In addition to being a regular season team, they have all of these long athletic defensively conscious wings, Trey Murphy, Herb Jones, Dyson Daniels, those three guys like certainly stand out as having the traits that you need to be successful in the playoffs. Mm -hmm. They have the star power in Zion Williamson and Brandon Ingram. They have the versatility of the bigs that they can use in Larry Nance and Jonas Valanciunas. I actually think they could use another guard more than another big personally. uh, If we're talking about like being great at, playoff basketball in terms of being able to just create constantly. Right. But I think that they can go big across the wings and small in the front court. They can go, you know, small in the back court by playing CJ and Jose together in minutes. They can go, you know, CJ Dyson, Herb Trey Zion if they want to, and just like be super duper athletic and everything. It's just, they're going to, pre- they present so many different matchups for teams. And that's what matters in the playoffs. Ultimately, they're going to go as far as Zion Williamson, CJ McCollum, and Brandon Ingram allow them to go in terms mm-hmm. of their star power, beating out the star power of other teams. But I think they're going to have the marginal advantage on the fringes versus other teams in a way that some of these other playoff teams don't necessarily have. Yeah, exactly. I think what's so fun. And what feels different about them with their depth is like, I feel like their depth is, and maybe this seems arbitrary, but I feel like their depth is uh, used in a way that shifts the game for them not to adapt to other teams. Um, And that to me speaks volumes on what the depth is, because I think, you know, you can often look at teams and be like, Oh, well, you know, if they just have these things to counter, and I think, no, like they, what I've really loved about the early season and and what, what, what you're hitting on too, that it feels different from, from other teams. Part of it's been due to injury that has forced them to, to really try things, but they've like, they have been really running through and trying different things on both ends, which has been really fun to watch. And that makes me all that more excited about what they can be in the playoffs, because I think you look at, you know, how they can be kind of honed into what they do best by the time they come around in the playoffs. And I think there are going to be questions about how they whittle down the rotation or if they do, I think they're going to have to, especially with the playoffs. If, but um, yeah, I, I think that the, I, I just feel like the next couple months we could see some really exciting stuff happen with them. Um, and again, yeah. it's just going to definitely depends on health um, as it does for everyone, but they're uh, yeah, they're, they're a special group. They're a special group. I absolutely love watching the Pelicans. Do you have anything else you want to talk about? I feel like this is one of those teams that's specifically built for you and I to love. Yes. Them. Like <laughs> big wings, Zion Williamson doing a bunch of super fun shit. I love Brandon Ingram. Like, I guess that maybe the last thing to talk about here is like, how do you think the integrate the reintegration of Zion with Brandon Ingram has gone to this point in the minutes where they have played together? I've mostly liked it, honestly. Like, I don't have a huge problem with it. I'd like to see them do more stuff with Bi and and, and Zion at the same time. Um, like, use Zion as a screener, use Bi as a screener. Like, I think they're like I would like to see them do more things to involve both of them in the same action. Same thing with like talking about CJ. I think I'm not really worried about how CJ has looked to start the year. Um, I think again, part of it's just been guys have been in and out. 
Um, I think he's been in a little bit of a shooting slump, but to me, he it does not look like he's lost a step in any way, shape, or form. I think it's just I, yeah. Like, I think CJ's been fine. He has a yeah. three to one assist to turnover. It's just a different role than what it was in Portland. Like yeah. he has three to one assist to turnover ratio. He's running the offense really, really well. He is just in the middle of a shooting slump. Like yeah, I'm not worried about CJ at all. Yeah. No. Exactly. Um, I I don't I don't I don't th- yeah. But I mean, overall, I don't think that I have like any real concerns about that. Um, just because I felt really good about what BI was able to find last year. And I think a lot of what made me excited about what BI was doing last year is that it was in terms of like that back half, like, yes, he didn't shoot well from three, but he was so good at like, that was the best that he ever saw the floor the last like probably 30 games last year. Um, and I think that he's mostly continued that to start the year. There have even been times where I felt he's like too passive as a shooter. Um, so again, I just, I think just seeing them with with more time together is going to be exciting but i I feel it's been pretty good yeah no i agree i'm with you uh the pelicans have been one of the most fun teams for me to watch this year let's move on and talk about the hawks but we're going to take a quick commercial break before we do that We're talking about players securing the bag when they get drafted in June. I need to tell you about securing your internet connection with NordVPN. What is a VPN? It's a virtual private network. A VPN reroutes your traffic through a remote server, encrypting it in the process. This is going to hide your location from your ISP, hackers, and from other people looking to get your data. Everybody knows that I watch as many movies as I can. I think I've probably watched like 40 or 50 this year already. Some movies are blocked in Australia. It's really hard for me to watch them. Uh, For instance, uh, anybody who's tried to get their hands on Godzilla Minus One recently knows that it's basically only available in Japan. And you need a VPN if you want to go to like Amazon Prime or something to be able to watch it. So When I'm blocked from watching a movie in Australia, I just queue up my VPN. I change my location and it unlocks a category of movies from all of my favorite streaming services. As somebody who's always on the go, connecting to public Wi-Fi is a necessity, but it's also just a goldmine for hackers. That's where Nord comes in, creating a secure tunnel for my data to travel through away from prying guys. There are other benefits to Nord as well. Your browsing history is yours and yours alone. Your virtual location is masked from those who seek to track your every move. It's like having a force field around your online identity. NordVPN also goes the extra mile with threat protection. Malware, trackers, dodgy ads, they're all going to get blocked. It's like having a shot blocking big around your devices 24-7. Game Theory is offering an exclusive deal for NordVPN. You're going to get four extra months and up to 75% off subscriptions, just head to nordvpn.com slash game theory, G-A-M-E-T-H-E-O-R-Y, to claim your account. Plus, with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Go to nordvpn.com slash game theory to claim your account, nordvpn.com slash game theory. Guys, I can't emphasize enough uh, how much I use Nord every day of my life. Uh, Nord is a fantastic sponsor for us. So go support Nord. And it's a great product. So nordvpn.com slash game theory. 
Okay, we're back. Let's go to the Atlanta Hawks. The Atlanta Hawks are currently, uh, I believe they are 13 and 11. They are in fourth place in the Eastern Conference. They are in fourth place in the Eastern Conference, despite the fact that they haven't had John Collins in a week. DeAndre Hunter has a thigh injury that has held him out now. Uh, It's just a weird deal. They've finally gotten Bogdan Bogdanovich back. Every time I watch them, though, I still just don't know what this team is and how much of this is real, how much of it is going to be sustainable, I think is something I struggle with. Uh, Let's start there. Mark, what are your impressions of the Atlanta Hawks to this point in the 2022-23 season? Um, Well, I will say I do feel the defense has been a lot better. Um, and it feels the, the defense does you start positively. I love it. Yeah. Well, I do. Well, yeah. Cause I, I have a lot of <laughs> negative things to say. Um, I, so I think that has been good to me. Um, I've enjoyed that. Like, like we've talked about, I, I think I'm probably a little bit higher on Clint than you are, but like Clint has been really big for them. Um, I think what they've found with the bench unit and just in their younger guys to round out the rotation has been nice, but overall, like I come down to a Trey has been in a, pretty massive slump to start the year it seems like his shoulder has really bothered him more than we anticipated it doing um and that has impacted things but even then I think like yes the offense would improve a little bit like I think that they'd be more into like the 10 range in in offensive rating if Shrey was was shooting around his normal splits right now um but compared to what that was last year I mean that's such a drastic drop off and it's not just the numbers it's like the integration sucks. Like John Collins has just kind of been phased out. It feels like yeah, they really haven't found a way to utilize him. Um, it's a lot of my turn, your turn with train Dejounte. I actually feel the bench has been a lot better depending on who's running it. Like I think Dejounte with the bench unit has actually been fun because they'll do Dejounte yeah. with Clint Capella. He like I as much as like I think Dejounte is a really good player, um, but I do think he's a lot more limited of a passer than his numbers tend to indicate like especially what last year was like he's an incredible pick and roll passer like he's really good with pocket passes he's a good lob passer he can hit the corner skip but I think when you take him out of that pick and roll scenario is where you see some of the limitations in his floor vision and that's not meant as a slight to him but I think again when you're taking it out of like the straight up okay we are running pick and roll to death because DeJounte's incredible getting into his his mid-range game or hitting a really capable roller um when you take it out of that, it's just kind of like – it just feels like fluff a little bit. And that's while also noting there just isn't a lot going on in the offense. Um, and I think – So, that that, yeah, that, that's, what I, that's what I wanted to like start with yeah. is everything feels difficult for them, right? Yeah. Like do you feel that when you watch them? Yeah, no, exactly. I mean like even like I'm just talking about right now, like DeJounte is not really getting to the rim a ton. Um, like a lot of it is just, I mean, he is a very good mid range shooter, but again, like, okay, if the shot doesn't fall, what is the impact on the defense? Um, so I think that's an aspect that's really difficult, but then again, like you're mentioning too, like there's very little off ball action that goes on. Like there's just not a lot going on in terms of exchanges. Um, and what's frustrating is like, they have the personnel to be more inventive than they are. Um, I think on one hand too, like this does need to go on. They don't got the coach for it though. 
They uh, well, yeah, that's I mean, all this stuff are, are the Shams Rani of the Athletic and his reporting with the spat between Trey and um, Nate McMillan that led to Trey not going to the game against Denver, which that's the whole thing. Um, but like to be fair, it is it is two sided. Like I don't think Trey has done a particularly good job of trying to be part of the offense when he doesn't have the ball. Again, part of that's on coaching, and I imagine like if there was a coach he was bought into then maybe we see it be a little bit different. Same thing on the defensive end. Like you can look at what traded last night against OKC and say, Hey, you know, he got into the paint a ton. He was dishing the rock. Um, he got to the free throw line a bunch and that's all well and good. They're throwing double teams at Shea Gilgis, Gilgis Alexander. Most of the second half, they may as well have just been throwing one in the ball. Cause Trey was not doing jack shit. Like he's just standing there with his arms at his side not provi- providing any force. And I know a lot of people look at this and be like, well, he's five, five eleven, six foot at best. Like he weighs 180 pounds. What do you expect him to do? Fight. Like when you look at what the Knicks series was and just that entire playoff run, like Trey tried on defense and it was very notable. He did a ton to make himself as, as small of a, of a liability as possible. And we haven't felt that this year. We haven't, we didn't feel that last year either. And I think if this team, like this team, Yes, they traded Kevin Herter, but I still feel like it's pretty clear. Like, if you make that move for for DeJounte Murray, and I've had Hawks fans disagree with me on this, but I think by making that move for DeJounte, like, they very clearly are like, okay, well, we're, we're here to compete this year. Like, we're, you know, we, we made the Eastern Conference Finals once. Like, obviously, yes, there's the stuff with the um, ownership not being willing to get into the tax, but that's been a thing for them, even when they've been a title contending team. So I just, I just am really disappointed with where this team is at. And I think we're pretty fast tracked towards some kind of change happening there. I'm not, I think it's impossible to be disappointed, I guess is what I would say. Um, They're 13 and 11. I think you can be disappointed by the process. Yeah. I think that's a good way to put it. Like, but even then, like I feel it's just it's the losses that they have accrued that are really disappointing because I think I look at like yeah like again like the process is disappointing but also when I look at this team like they like OKC is a better team but like you have Trey you have two you have two All Star level players you have a, a borderline defensive player that you're candidate include oh like you have a pretty good rotation like yes DeAndre Hunter is is out but you should be able to beat Oklahoma City if you're out there and you're playing your best. You should be able to win a home game against Oklahoma City. Exactly. I totally agree with that. And, like, they lost to the Philly team that didn't have Joel Embiid or James Harden. Like, that's a joke. When you have Trey and DeJounte, they lost to the Rockets. Like, that game to the Rockets was was pathetic. Um, and I know that's, that's a, a super – you know me. I'm not a negative person. That's a lot to throw out there. But I think to me, like, I don't know. Maybe, I'm definitely a lot more down on this team than I think you're at. Yeah, like it, it's interesting. So they started out really well. They started seven and three in their first 10 games, right? Mm-hmm. And they beat Milwaukee. They beat the Pelicans. Like they had a couple of really, really good wins in that time. Since then, I mean, they beat the 76ers. I, I don't think that that was a game where the 76ers had like a full compliment. They had Joel and Tyrese looking at the mm-hmm. box score in that game. Um, so, you know, a, a good win there, I guess they beat Milwaukee again, but like lost to the Celtics, lost to the Cavs, lost to the Rockets, lost to the heat who are scuffling right now, lose that game to the Sixers. Their wins are against the magic and the nuggets. The nuggets is a good win. 
but then you lose to the Thunder. It's just up and down. It feels like the process is different. Like it just feels like pulling teeth when you watch them on offense. Anytime that it's DeJounte and Trey together and it almost runs better with Trey off the court, like just in terms of the way it makes sense, their offense isn't better with Trey off the court because even though Trey is in the middle of this slump, mm-hmm. he in the shoulder, I think you're right. Like it clearly seems to be bothering him. Like he wouldn't be shooting like this if it wasn't bothering him. Right. But he's so good that like the process almost doesn't matter, but like it looks cleaner and it looks better when he's off the court. And like that matters on some level, I think, as you move into like the highest level of matchups that you can face. I don't know what to do with them. I feel like they are ripe for a shakeup trade in like a real substantial way. And it seems like based off the reporting, it's probably going to be John Collins, right? Mm-hmm. Like that feels like you can't really move DeAndre now because he signed the extension. I guess you could move Clint Capella. I don't see the moving DeJounte because DeJounte has been really good, I think, like for what he is. I mean, I think he's averaging what, like 21, 6, and 7 or something like yeah. that. I'll look at the numbers. Yeah, that's exactly it. Um, he's shooting 37% on more volume from three than he ever has before. He's been pretty efficient. Like, it's hard to look at DeJounte as the problem. Because he's been really good. Uh, it's yeah, I guess it is Trey that's the problem, but like that's probably gonna turn based off of our history with Trey. So like I just don't have a feel for them at this point, I guess is my point. And this far into the season, it's kind of important to have that feel. Like it's kind of important to know what your structure is gonna be how you can run offense, how you can get efficient offense. I mean, this team takes fewer threes than anybody in the league, but they're also middle in the pack in terms of like shots in the shots at the rim, mm-hmm. right? Theoretically, you have guys like Trey Young, you have guys like DeJounte Murray, you have great lob threats like Clint Capella, John Collins, Onyeka Okongwu. You should be living at the rim. You should be living behind the arc if DeJounte is going to shoot six threes a game and make 37% of them. And you have Trey young and you have Bogdan Bogdanovich. Like there's every opportunity for you to just derive threes and shots at the rim. And they don't do it. Like to me, look, every report from Shams and Sam Amick has said that like Nate McMillan's job is not in danger to like that that's what yeah. i would like to me when yeah, i watch like, them uh, i'm like i don't know what they're like i don't know how they're getting i don't think he's helping them get efficient offense i guess is what i would say i don't think he's helping anything in terms of them deriving real easy looks and i think that like these bullshit like let's throw the ball in the mid post to deandre hunter when he's out there and give him his five touches in the mid post per game Keep it. Like, I don't need it. Like, DeAndre's good. I really like DeAndre. Maybe occasionally you can go to it. But they go to it way more than they should, I think. It's, I don't know. To me, it's more of, it's more of a, I would try to change the coach before I change the roster because I'm a big John Collins believer. Mm -hmm. But, like, John Collins undeniably has been phased out of this thing in, like, a way that is frustrating. And I don't know how to manage it if I was like, I'd, I'd be pissed if I was John Collins. 
I, I would be genuinely really pissed because he busts his ass defensively every night that he's out there now. He's a guy that's averaged like 20 and 10 in the league. He was happy to take a step back. He averaged like what, like 16 and 10, 17 and 10 last year, something like that. Um, and now he's like completely phased out. He's good enough to have a bigger role and he's gotten better every year at the things he's been asked to get better at. So the it's just like a weird vibe, right? Like it's a weird situation and you can't even say that they're bad because they're 13 and 11. They're fourth in the Eastern conference. It's not like they played a shit schedule. Like they played a league average schedule so far. Yeah. I don't know what to do with this. Like, I, I just genuinely have no idea what to do with this. Yeah, I, I agree. It's it's just a it's a very weird space to be in. And I, again, I think that they're going to end up being fine for the most part. But like, I just I anticipated more, um, which probably, you know, might be on my own. That's on me, probably. But at the same time, like I was really excited about this group to be this year. Um, and I think that there's still the framework to make that happen. But yeah, right now has been well, not great. But it's not, it's just not great from a process perspective. Like mm. that, and to me, that's almost more important as you're building this young roster, right? Like you want the process to be right. And that's why, look, if I was them, I'd try a coaching change before I tried a roster shakeup. But I would try a coaching change like now ish so that I get 20 games or 30 games before the trade deadline and could know, okay, it's the coach or okay, it's, it's the roster that we need to need to shake up, right? Because, they still have a lot of assets on the table. Like they still have DeAndre Hunter that you can move later on. They still have Onyeka Kongwu, AJ Griffin, Jalen Johnson has showcased some interesting things. Even if I'm still just, I really like the processing speed and passing. I just worry about what it looks like as a role player in terms of what they actually need. Um, given that guys like DeJounte and Trey are going to dominate the ball when the playoffs come around. So like, they have real assets to be able to move for a high level piece or to be able to just shake things up. You can move John Collins. You have the salary ballast with Clint Capella, right? Like you have different things that you can do. Yeah. I, I would want to know if it's the coach that makes this process as bad as it is, or if it's the roster that makes things look as funky as it does. Or frankly, like I would want to know if it's just Trey young being in the middle of a slump and like the shoulder, not quite working. I feel like that's almost the piece that has made this even more difficult to judge because we haven't gotten to see Trey and DeJounte, it feels like, at like full 100% operating capacity. Yeah, no, exactly. I think that's what, I mean, that's what makes it exciting because probably in in like a month and a half, they'll have ripped off like a, a nice little like 15 and seven stretch and then Trey looks fine and what do I know? Yeah. You know, like, and, and then we stop hearing the reports about what things are between Nate and Trey. And that's just how it tends to go. Um, Cause it always tends to be like, there's, there's a mix of both. It's never just on one, one party. So it's fascinating times in Atlanta. The one thing that has been super positive in Atlanta that I want to close on is AJ Griffin. Like AJ Griffin is ready from the jump. He's ready to go right now to play a rotation level role. I, like I would want him as like my seventh man right now, as opposed to in the starting lineup, which he was last night because of the absences of Deandre Hunter and John Collins. But look, he's ready to go right now as a rotation guy, which is something that I did not expect coming in. I, I thought his defense would make him like completely unplayable. He was really, really bad last year defensively at Duke, yeah. but 
that's not the case and his shooting and playmaking ability has only been amplified by playing in a more well-spaced setting such as the NBA. Yeah, I mean, you you said it. I think what is uh what's been really fun about him is I don't I probably there have been good things about his defense. I think that they've maybe been highlighted a little bit more than the bad things, uh, to be honest. Like, I, I, he still gets way lost off the ball. His screen navigation is pretty bad. Um, but his hands, like, his hands are unreal. Like, he's so good at just spearing the ball away. Like, he's got really strong hands while also yeah. being really accurate, which sounds like a random thing. But it's it matters a lot for the way that he's just jutting the ball loose. And I feel like most of those are coming when he's getting blown by because he's not he's not awesome at staying in front of people. I do think he's he's held up better staying in front of people than I expected, especially as a rookie. Um, so I think there have been like really good signs on that end. But again, it's been it's been the offense. Like um, part of why I actually don't hate him in the starting lineup. Like actually, a friend of mine tweeted about this today. I think um, a Hawks fan named Andrew Kelly, really smart dude. Um, like posited that if the Hawks are going to move on from John Collins. I would keep Adrian Griffin Jr. in the starting lineup and just play DeAndre at the four. Like, I think when you think about A, spacing, B, just having, you know, getting more a higher volume of threes up with this team um, and having more players who can move the ball, move themselves and and be threats. Like, I think that that's really enticing. Um, Like, again, I, I agree that he's probably more of somebody who should be a seventh man right now, but with what he has done, like what's what's been so hard to watch is like you see what he actually does for the offense when he's he's in part of it. Yeah. And it's been really important. Like he's so good just attacking um with the ball in his hands. Like he's very decisive. There's not really any hesitation. He gets the ball off quickly from any spot of the floor. Um it's been a really fun run from him to watch. And I think it'll be interesting to see his teams, you know, try and find other ways to attack him and um, especially on, on, on defense or, or try and make him a passer more on offense. Um, but he's really played well. He's been the ideal, like, advantage player, right? Yep. And with guys like Trey Young and DeJounte Murray, who can almost always at will create that advantage for your team, having a guy like A.J. Griffin with them, like, I do believe that. Like, I think that it'd be super valuable. I just don't know, what, don't know if the defense can hold up. And that, look, the big thing is, if the defense can't hold up, they're going to need to rebound at a super high level and having AJ and Deandre out there, neither of whom are good rebounders. Maybe you can make the case that DeJounte, who's one of the best guard rebounders in the league makes up for it, but I don't know if he makes up for it enough to where they're going to be able to end enough possessions. If you play Deandre and AJ is like your three and your four next to Clint Uh, defensive rebounding wise, they are 19th in the NBA so far. And that's with, like John Collins and Onyeka Kongwu and Clint Capella playing a bunch of minutes, right? Yep. So I'm a little bit worried about the way that would look. But at the end of the day, this has been an ideal start for A.J. Griffin. He looks like a guy that is what every team is looking for, a 6'6 wing that can really, really shoot the ball. There are concerns moving forward that – you know, I don't think we need to harp on because he's a rookie and because he's still figuring things out. But I've been very, very excited. This is this is the AJ Griffin that people were hoping for coming out of Duke and coming into uh, the start of his pro career. Like when he w- or coming into Duke, I guess when he was a f- 
senior in high school and didn't play and like some of the U16 stuff that we saw from AJ Griffin when he was uh, with Team USA and looked like maybe a number one overall pick candidate at that point if things really would have broken right. Mm -hmm. So I love to see that he's been really, really effective so far. Yeah, that makes two of us. Yeah. So let's go to now Scotty Barnes and let's try not to get destroyed by all of the many people on Toronto uh, Twitter that are going to be very angry uh, that we're talking about Scotty Barnes. Although I will say, like, I think they've been pretty like real and open about the fact that Scotty has struggled this year. Yeah. Despite the fact that he is their favorite, like son in Toronto at this point. The thing, so, okay, let's do this. Let's start with the numbers. Scotty Barnes currently is averaging 14 and a half points, seven rebounds, five assists per game. On the face, pretty good. He's taking four three-pointers a game, shooting 32% on them. Teams don't really guard him out there. They don't care if he takes those shots. He's making 66% of his free throws, 45% from the field. His true shooting percentage right now is 51.7%. That is uh, that is 1% better than Jalen Suggs, for instance, right? Who we talk about as Suggs being slander. this very inefficient <laughs> player, right? But like, I think that it's, you know, these are the two guys that are going to be compared forever because they were the two options at number four overall. And one of them gets talked about as this incredibly inefficient player. And Jalen is more efficient because he turns the ball over more often. Having said that, Scotty also leads the Toronto Raptors in turnover rate at this point at 15%, which is way too high for the percentage of possessions that he gets to run for them with Fred back in the lineup with OG taking a step up as being able to handle more offensive creation. So Scotty has been disappointing on offense. It pales into compare in comparison to the level that he's been disappointing on defense. I think. He's been very bad on defense. I'll just kind of let you go first and talk, or go now and talk about Scotty. Where are you at with Scotty Barnes at this point? Yeah, I think I'm probably – we texted about this the other day. I don't think I'm as concerned. Um, like, I don't – no, I, I mean, I'm not going to cookie cut. Like, I think he's he's been, per expectations, not, not what I expected this year. Like, I was expecting the leap. Um, I thought – I really enjoyed Jason Tatum's comments after the game last night. What I don't know why he was asked about Scotty's sophomore slump, um, but I do think it was like interesting to hear him talk about it. And I think there was a lot of good in there. Um, what I, I like, I think that the knee and ankle are clearly still bothering him, even if Nick yes. Nurse is going to deny it. Like I am watching him play, and like this dude is not moving in the same way he did last year, which. Yes. I probably am just less worried about what that means long-term because I think he's going to get right. Hopefully I just wish that they would actually let him sit and not be uh war criminals with how they play their guys. But you know, Nick nurse, it, it's insane to be playing him 41 minutes a night while he is recovering. Like he's clearly not a hundred percent physically. I like if he's a hundred percent physically, we have bigger problems, right? Like, yeah, exactly. Okay, way- yeah. I'm, I'm, if this is one hundred percent physically, yeah. Like, okay, all right. Wow, throwing my hands up, but no, I think uh, offense. We've seen him look better. Is my point? Yeah. That- no, exactly. And I think yeah. what's weird offensively is, like, again, worth noting, like how many guys have been out for the Raptors. Like, I, 
don't there's a, a website you can play you, you can pay for that shows you you know who is missing who's missed the most guys i mean games due to injury i don't pay for that site but i can imagine that toronto will be right up near the top especially when you're considering how much time pascal has missed um how much time fred van vliet has missed and also fred van vliet has just been dealing with injuries on and on and off and has not looked like himself much of the year um like it's really i mean this is OG has been like the only healthy player this year. And that's normally the opposite of how things run. So it's been, it's been wacky with that. Um, like obviously Otto Porter's only played eight games and I think they were expecting him to be a much bigger part of the rotation. Their spacing has been pretty rough. Like this is a, like, I mean, part of it is the offense that they run, um, but they're 25th and three point shooting right now, 33% from three. Part of it's been slump, part of it's personnel. They also they, they only get up like an average amount of threes, but like they've gone more from Scotty being a play connector last year. And obviously that his role evolved from being more of a play connector to running more stuff on the ball as the year went on. But like they really put the ball in his hands to start the year. And I think that was a like when you have just less guys who are good in the lineup that you're expecting to have there. Like I think that it makes sense that there were some some growing pains with that. I have been impressed with his passing still. But it's just the actual like on ball scoring has been like um, it has taken a hit. And I think part of that is just like last year, like we talked a little bit about with Zion, like he was so good at, at, at finding ways to insert himself in the offense. And I think this year they're asking a lot more of him. OK, be the offense. And I think he struggled with that, to be honest. Like and I think part of this is not to go on an entire tirade, but like part of why I get frustrated with some of the rookie stuff like. And and this is not to say like I judge people who haven't watched somebody as a as a prospect and and then have thoughts on them like not that at all but I just think it's important to not put insane expectations on somebody just because of what happens in their rookie year like he was put in a role that was just exceptional for him last year and he also to his credit like he made massive strides that I just didn't expect ever seeing when he was he was playing at Florida state. Like I didn't expect some of the touch stuff. I didn't expect the jumper to come along as soon as it did. Um, and I still think like there have been really interesting stuff with his touch finishes. The jumper has just been really off from, from three for him. And I think that's kind of cratered, especially when you're looking at his shooting percentage as cratered stuff. Yeah. And he struggled more at the rim too, obviously. And I think partially due to that knee and ankle, um, like he just hasn't had the, he's still dunking the ball a lot, um, but it hasn't been like, I don't feel like he's had the same separation around the room and again part of that is where he's getting his offense too but um the defense has been the bigger thing for me um in terms of where i am like whoa um like i don't think his off-ball defense has been particularly awesome and that's also noting too like the closeouts have been really bad his angles have been really bad he cannot stop anybody on the ball right now and again part of that is like they're not just saying okay we're gonna put you on this guy it's been more so like he's being put into actions and then He's just not able to stick in front of somebody, but I think that's... Oh, well, no, let, let, let's also, let's call out Nick Nurse a little bit here. Yeah. Nick Nurse is having him guard Jason Tatum. He is putting a guy that, again, I personally don't think is 100% right now. I don't know this. I haven't talked to Scotty Barnes. I, I haven't talked to Nick Nurse. Uh, look, he's not moving as well as what we saw last year. He's not moving as well as what we saw at Florida State. Yeah, it's just kind of the reality of the situation, right? I've watched quite literally probably a hundred games of Scotty Barnes at this point. If you go back four years, right? Probably more than that, honestly, probably 150 or something like that. I've seen him play 
so many times. I probably watched 30 Raptors games last year. I watched almost every game he played at Florida State. And I'm sure that I watched a significant number. So maybe 100, let's say, games of Scotty Barnes coming into this year. He is not playing like he's never a guy that's played with an exceptional amount of bend, right? Like he's always played a little bit upright and a little bit stiff and used his length. He has none right now. Like he can't, like, it feels like he like almost like is struggling to bend like in his knees a little bit. I think he just was out for a couple games with a knee sprain, right? Like he can't really stop and start his moment. He can, he can stop his momentum, but he can't restart it with the same yep. level of burst that he had. He had an ankle injury at the start of the year, right? Like all of this, I think, is stacking up to the point where I'm like almost tossing what we've seen out. But what I do know is that Nick Nurse playing him 40 minutes a night and having him guard Jason Tatum for, you know, 25 of those minutes, it felt like last night when I was watching that game. That's a bad idea. <laughs> like, that's not putting this guy in position to succeed at a high level. And I guess you could say, look, he's getting the reps on one of the best players in the league. This is a role that we're hoping that he can play for us long term. Being the guy that can be the defensive stopper with his tools physically, with his length, with his stick his motor defensively. He just can't stay in front of anyone. Like, point blank, right now with where his mobility is, maybe this is what he is now and then there are bigger problems. I don't really want to consider that because that's just super sad to me. Mm -hmm. Right. That seems like that would suck if that's who he is now, but I don't think it is based off of what we've seen previously. He can't stay in front of people right now, but I understand Toronto thinking that they need to play him because they have nobody off the bench right now that can do anything replicable compared to what Scotty Barnes can do. And by the way, Credit Scotty Barnes for getting back and playing and trying to help his team, but he's like not really helping them right now. If he's going to be put in the position where he's forced to guard Jason Tatum for 25 minutes a night, when Jason Tatum is on like an MVP level heater right now, and the Boston Celtics are going to put you in space for 95 minutes of a 48 minute game and just force all sorts of, movement and all sorts of rotations and all sorts of stop start. Like, I don't know, man, it's, it's tough to watch with Scotty like that. That's honestly, like, I think it's tough to watch and I'm not taking anything away from what I think his future can be based off of what he looks like right now, but it's a problem that he does not look great right now. Yeah, no, I agree with that entirely. It's been, uh, it has definitely been difficult. I still think like there have been good, again, good things to take away from uh, some of the, the offensive process and learning. Um, but yeah, the, yeah. the defense is, it's just more what he looks like physically um, is a little bit concerning for sure. Like I, I sent you a couple clips where I was just like, what, what is he doing here? Like he, there was one clip where he got, you know, hesitation crossover by Jason Tatum and totally got blown by. And then the man in the corner had to go help on to Tatum. And then he was responsible for the help on the man in the corner. Tatum hit the kick out to the corner after he'd already blown by Scotty Barnes. Uh, I think it was Blake Griffin, if I remember correctly, pump faked him, yeah. drove him left and threw down that huge dunk. And yeah, that was, was kind of like, wild to watch in real time yesterday. I was just like, this isn't, this isn't Scotty Barnes. Like this isn't the guy we've seen before. Yeah. That was the one where I was like, Oh, like this, this isn't good for him. 
to be out here right now. I felt like, so mm-hmm. I don't know. It, it's I, Nick nurse needs to stop playing these guys fucking 45 minutes a night. Yeah. And I, I do just want to say too, because I think people are going to be like, oh, he's not playing 40, 40 minutes a night. If you go through and sort the games where he, a wasn't coming off the bench because he was coming back from injury and you sort out blowouts. He is playing about 38, 39 minutes a night. So it's, it's a lot. Yeah. Um, and it's he played little... 41 minutes last night. He played 45 minutes the night before he sat those couple of games with the knee injury. He's played 41 ga- minutes the game before that. Like he played 37 minutes in his second game back or third game back from the knee injury. I'm sorry. Like he's playing a crazy number of minutes right now. Yeah. And on one hand, to be fair too, like it's tough when you're like, like again, they're missing precious. Like they've missed a ton of Pascal. Um, Otto, as I mentioned, has been out. Like Wancho was out now, which he was playing. But like, I just, I think at some point you kind of do have to just dip into playing your back end of the rotation guys. Like I, they're, they're just like, I don't know. I, I know some coaches really like playing shorter rotations or less that they like it, but more just they don't trust guys and, um, yeah. I do think that is one of Nick Nick's kind of weaknesses right now. Not kind of like definitely weakness right now. Well, and like you said, like Precious is out for a couple of weeks still. It seems like um, Otto Porter has been out with that toe injury for a while, and I don't know when he's coming back. Um, and honestly, you just can't rely on Otto Porter to stay healthy at this point. That's just yeah. the reality of the situation. So his position has some guys that are down, but like. At the same token, you gotta you gotta be willing to let them roll a little bit, or you gotta be willing to do something different, like play bigger, like play Chris Boucher and a big, right? Um, play Chris Boucher and Thad Young together. Play Chris Boucher, Thad Young, and um, you know Pascal together, or something like that, because Pascal can really create and can play the three uh, for six minute stretches of a game if you need him to, right? Just do something different to where Scotty Barnes doesn't have to play 39 minutes in a game when he doesn't look right physically, I guess is my point. Yeah, ideally not. Yeah, it's not ideal. Um, This doesn't change. You've already said this doesn't change what you think Scotty Barnes can be long-term. It doesn't change what I think Scotty Barnes can be long-term either. Like I, I I am on board with Scotty. I think he's a terrific player. Uh, maybe he does end up being like elite of the elite in terms of role players in the league, as opposed to being like a superstar, like some people think, mm. I don't know. But uh, what I, what I'm saying is that right now I'm not really taking this away and saying like, this is who Scotty is. He's struggling sophomore slump guys get tape on you. They figure you out. It is also worth noting again, leg injuries, aside right now and noted he is shooting 30% from the mid range and 31, 32 from three. Right. So basically outside of 10 feet, he's shooting 31% from the field right now. And that's not quite good enough. Yeah, definitely. So uh, Mark, this is where we're going to have some fun now. It's Mark Schindler's prospect of the week. Let's start with Jet Howard though. Let's talk about what we've seen from the six foot eight Michigan. I don't know, wing, secondary ball handler. I don't know what you want to call him, Mark. That's one of the questions I was going to ask you today. What would you call him? Um, and I think, I think I would call him more of a four 
Like I think he's a combo. Ooh, yeah. Okay. I think he's a combo forward, but like I'd almost lean into saying he's a four. And not like a in a bad way, but I think defensively, I think that he needs to be a four. Or at least that's where he's at right now in some ways, which I, I guess is what makes it interesting to talk about. But um yeah. I really like Jet Man. I, I talked to I I think I texted you about him before the year started. I was like, dude, why is this guy not on boards? Because like I'm again, I'm biased. Yeah. Like I loved watching him at IMG because uh, I love Jairus Walker. So I watched IMG a ton and I saw Jet like all the time. I'm like Jet's really good. I love Jaden Bradley. Like that that team was just very fun. Keontae's there too. Um, man, that team was fucking awesome. Now I think about it. But like again, uh, this Michigan team. I think you have to start by just talking about the context of this Michigan team overall. This team is good ish they've played a decently tough schedule like um relative to some other bigger teams like obviously kentucky was a tough matchup kentucky's a good team um i eastern as far as going like with some of the lower lower mid majors like i think that eastern is a fine matchup like they've they've done some decent things in terms of what they're playing against there is not a single player on this team i look at and i can say consistently that they can get a stop in isolation Yes, that is bad. Um, when you consider what, what, how would you rank Hunter Dickinson defensively on their team? I I'd think he's not. near the top oh. of the list. No, no, but this yeah. is my point. Like, I think Hunter, who has his own deficiencies in terms of being able to move in space and in terms of being able to operate that way, I would say he's one of their three best defenders right now. He's pretty good at just being big, using his frame to take up a ton of space on the interior. He's not terrible with his angles and ball screens anymore when they play him in the drop. Like Mm -hmm. he has developed into a good college defender while also acknowledging the fact that there are real concerns down the road for him. Yeah. I think that's a great way to put it. And I, I am confused. Well, not confused is the wrong way to put it. I think part of what I struggle with sometimes in scouting is that, I like have all my own thoughts about the team and, and, you know, having seen like all these guys play in in other settings, having them see play here, like I'm not privy to practice and being there, but so often I watch this team and I'm just like, I'm already at the point this far in the season where I'm like, just play double big and blitz every ball screen because you guys cannot get a stop in any way, shape or form. Like I would, I actually like. I know that he has. Wait, who's the who's the second big you want to play? Oh, I would play Taurus Reed. I would start Taurus. I would not. Oh. I disagree. Wow. Oh wow, that's a yeah. This this is the first time we've like significantly oh, disagreed. I love Taurus uh, Reed so much. Uh, I like the idea of him. Yeah, but I, I like think him. that's part of part of what's difficult is like he's there has to be willingness to play a freshman through freshman mistakes, and I think in terms of like anybody who can actually cover ground and like be competent on defense, like. I think it's him compared to what their other options are. Like, I, I mean, I think Isaiah Barnes can play more. Um, That's like the guy just, that I would probably play a little yeah. bit more, to be honest. The problem's just I... been like Jalen Llewellyn and Kobe Bufkin, like both bring positive things, but in tandem, like their defense has been really difficult on um, both on and off the ball. And that's what's been problem. Like, like it's not just guys on the roster who have one flaw. Like it's just like consistently – I don't know what they do defensively. Um, it, it, and that's not trying to be like overly negative. I think they're going to figure things out. Juwan's a really damn good coach. Um, but that's just what make. I think I do just want to like lay that out before we absolutely grill Jets defense because Jet has also contributed to the defensive problems. Um, 
he, much like we just yeah. talked about with Scotty, he has some, like, he's a very funky athlete. Um, like, I think. You, you know what? Let's, let's, let's put a pin in this. Yeah. Because I, I want to do this, like, you know, comprehensively, right? And yeah. I don't want to, like, jump around all over the place. For sure. So let's start with the good stuff. Because I, I think that that's, like, you and I like to talk about the positives on guys. That is true. And I just don't want to jump into, like, shitting on Jed Howard, right? Yeah. Um, Jed Howard's really good. I think Jed Howard is like a borderline-ish top 20 prospect in this class. Six foot eight, real skill as a ball handler, real ability to like take dribble handoffs. I think that's the thing that Michigan does super, super well with him is they get him moving on the fly, right? They get him moving in dribble handoffs, try and get him downhill before he catches so that he has a chance to actually get into the paint because his first step is not all that good. The big thing though is that he's very comfortable handling the ball at six foot eight. And it's just hard to find guys that are six foot eight and can handle the ball like this. The other thing is very obviously the shooting, right? Jed Howard is shooting 49% from the field, 42.6% from three on seven three point attempts per game right now. Um, he's averaging two assists per game so far for Michigan. And when you watch him shoot, it's how quick he gathers into the shot. He gathers mm-hmm. off the hop a decent amount of the time. There was the first play in this Kentucky game that we watched, like catches, doesn't bring the ball down, catches it as waste and just goes directly up, right? Without any sort of real issue with it, right? Those are the skills that you're just like, oh, wow, like this is immediately translatable. The shooting, the ball handling, the passing, dribble pass shoot guys at six foot eight tend to be fairly successful in the NBA. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, 100%. And I think it's, uh, just to take a step further, it's the variety that he gets a shot off. Like, he missed it in this game, too, but he had, I mean, they had winding down shot clock at the end of the first half, and he took a, a pull-up three from, like, 27, 28 feet running out of the yeah. slot. And, like, it's, obviously, it didn't go in, but, like, form, process, everything looked good. And I believe in him as a pull-up yeah. shooter. Like, he's taken pull-up threes and looked good this year. Um, yeah. he's capable of running off screens, then screening himself and then flying off that. Like he, it, it's so, so weird because like, I, I mean, it's hard to like, I think his movement skills are what are so in, interesting to me, like at his size, like he's really good at doing some things that at like an elite level in the way that he moves. But then there are other things where there's like yeah, a very yeah, real yeah. not eliteness to the way that he moves. Like he, like part of what makes him such a fascinating ball handler at six eight, like he maneuvers through space incredibly well in a straight line. Super shifty. Like he's really, yeah. really shifty. And he has a tight handle too for his size. But it's like I pointed this out, and there was a really good angle in the Virginia game, very similar to what Adrian Griffin Jr. did last year, in terms of like the pass he has to take if you're asking him to like turn yeah. or like it's like the Titanic. Um, and I, I clipped this because it was like part of it was respect Beekman was awesome on him and just like stuck like him to like glue off the ball but like he cannot just like come off a he can't come off a screen and just like do like a 35 angle cut like he has to like wide turn if he's coming off of like staggered screens out of the corner um and that's not like inherently terrible but it's more like in terms of like the actual getting into actions making things happen quickly cutting down margin for error like that's the kind of thing you look at and like can you can you improve that i think we've seen aj be able to improve on some of that a little bit this year part of that just due to nba spacing i think um but that's stuff that plays in defensively as well so, so here here would be here'd be my question to you yeah how much of it in terms of him taking wide angles 
do you think is footwork versus lack of explosion? Like just having feeling like he has to take the wide angle because he doesn't have a great first step. Because I also think his footwork on drives is actually pretty poor. Like he Mm -hmm. takes a lot of those like weird, like right foot plant, right foot floater kind of things that just look funky. I think that he often gets kind of caught between steps. It feels like when he's driving to the rim. So how much of this do you think is like fixable in terms of him getting down the right footwork and getting to the point where as he gets more comfortable and works with trainers and everything, he'll be able to make that work versus just having inherent limitations physically. I think it's a little bit of both. Um, I think I would lean probably more into the explosiveness um, just because like, I think a lot of it's his hips. Like he just really struggles to, again, like quick twitch with his hips. Like he's really good. Like his leg flexibility and upper body, upper body flexibility is awesome, which again is like what really helps him to be a low to the ground ball handler who's able to be a little bit shaky. Um, But it's the actual turning that I think is like a real problem right now. Um, Yeah. And again, like noting like problem as like a first round prospect and and being like somebody who ends up potentially as a lottery guy. Like that's, those are the things that are separating him from me right now. Um, And I agree totally on the footwork because I think that plays a part in his finishing inside the arc. Like I don't think that his finishing inside the arc is terrible, but for somebody who's six foot eight, it is a little bit lacking, um, especially considering how good of a passer he is, but he does have really good touch. Like the floaters really pop for him. One thing that's interesting, like this is more projecting out. I feel like he's a guy I would really like to see develop the post game. Like, I think that's going to be huge for him in terms of like, yeah. and I think part of that's because I do see him more as a four than a three, just based on what his, um, his attributes are. Um, so the funny thing is that you're saying you want him to play the four and develop the post game. I almost want the post game more if he's like going to be a two. Well, I want it for everything. I think I'm just thinking more yeah. in terms of like, if you're going to get more out of his playmaking, but also the scoring, like I think if you want to see more of him be able to um, get into like, okay, I'm going to face somebody up and and take them off the dribble and, um, you know, finding ways for him to kind of like, again, not, not the same thing, but like thinking same mold of player, like a TJ Warren type guy, like he doesn't I mean, have it's not Donovan Mitchell. <laughs> not, not Donovan the most Mitchell. comparable player. Yeah, yeah, definitely not. But like in terms of just like a guy who like, no, he doesn't necessarily have, he either has limitations to handle or explosiveness to be a I'm going to create everything from the program myself type guy. Like, okay, what if we get you the ball from 17 feet? You back somebody down and you you dribble the ball out, you face up. Like there, there are ways to like make it exciting to, and be like, okay, well then we can have guys who are cutting off 45 and like finding ways to get your vision going and and also improve user score. Like there's a lot of stuff there that's just really exciting with him. Yeah. So I'm glad you brought up the name TJ Warren because I think that that is the guy that he reminds me most of when I watch him Uh, more the like modern TJ Warren, not the NC state TJ Warren that you might be too young to remember. I have have gone back and watched NC state TJ Warren. Good God. That was like, what an unreal score. Like, I like, but also just like the most bizarre projectability in terms of score because of like, everything was dictated on the floater it felt like right yeah. everything was him trying to get to the mid-range to get to that little push shot so like different more the modernized version of what tj warren yeah. became but there are a lot of similarities there in terms of the physicality in terms of the way that his body mechanics work in terms of the shooting because tj became an unbelievable shooter and has the real 
uh, touch that he displayed on floaters, jet more from three, I think. So I, that guy goes top 20, like no questions asked. I yeah. think it's just how high does he rise? For, for three, those right? who need just a quick reminder, TJ Warren, his sophomore year at NC State, had a 35.5% usage with an 8.6% assist rate while also shooting 58% on 15 twos a game. Um, he was, he was like one of the best college scorers I've ever seen. I, yeah. He averaged 25 and seven that year. Like he was just, he was so fun. Um, and it's, yeah. it's interesting too, because he's a guy who I think you can definitely point at and be like, he's worked quite a bit to, um improves like his core strength and like not being like he he had some hip stiffness issues especially when he was in phoenix right and i feel like that's really improved for him as well like i wouldn't call him a lockdown defender by any stretch but he's somebody who really especially in indiana improved on that end still has his issues off the ball but like um i think that again like same idea of like a really versatile forward who just and i i actually would argue like Part of it is like TJ's mechanics. Our mutual friend PD Webb wrote a really awesome piece about this, but like TJ Warren's shooting mechanics are wild and he just wills the ball into the rim because he's an incredible. I mean, he has some of the best touch in the NBA. But like when you look at what his shot looked like at NC State, like, I mean, the leg flares, like pretty wild. Um, it's not always replicable. And like to me, Jets' shot is just, I mean, it's in so much different place than what TJ's was coming out. But it's funny because the one thing that Jet does on the shot from time to time. And like he always like does Blair. the sideways thing too. It's like, it's yeah. it's very aesthetic. Like I love it. You're going to, do you want to, you want to laugh? Um, I got chewed out by a, a scout friend of mine because, I, and I did not say that it was a good shot, but I said Chuck O'Bannon Jr. has my favorite jump shot in basketball uh, because uh, it is like, I just have no idea how that is the same shot every time. Like, right like it's like that shot is just wild to watch it's there's like it's a wild shot to watch with that. and yeah he uncorks it from anywhere like i there's just an audacity to it that i appreciate i respect the audacity i think that's a fair way to put it yeah um let's go to jet howard's defense now now i think it's reasonable to talk about mm-hmm. because we just talked for 10 minutes about jet being so interesting and fascinating offensively um, I think he's pretty bad on defense for a lot of the reasons that we've talked about the lack of tremendous foot speed in terms of first step, the hip stiffness, it bears itself out in terms of his ability to contain penetration at a really high level. Yeah, no, 100%. I think, uh, this one too, like, I think it's important to talk about the footwork here, like his defensive footwork is everywhere. Um, and I think yeah. what's tough too as good as his feel is offensively, I don't like his defensive feel right now. Like, I think that there's a lot of room for it to improve. Like, um, he just kind of feels very tentative at times on defense. Like, he – I think that's one of the biggest issues for him right now is, like, he often feels caught between doing two things, and I think that ends up being worse for him than just trying to do one thing really hard. Um, and that's not saying that he doesn't try, but it's, again, like, that's just part of how things work. Um but yeah, exactly like you mentioned, like the foot speed is not great. Uh, he has a lot of length. It just like actually knowing how to use it and be in the right position, I think is going to be key for him the next couple of years in developing that. Um, it does help that he's strong. Like I, I would definitely consider him strong. Like he's, he's pretty big. Uh, that, that helps. I think one of the things that has been nice to see is like, I do like what his recovery skills can be if he is in the right position. Um, 
Like he's averaging like 1.4 blocks. It's not because of help side rim protection. Um, it's because he's getting beat and he's able to reach back and, and block a shot or tip it before it goes into the rim, which I think again, like not great, but like, I do think it can at least feel a little well, bit. And, and let's, let, let's just note here that seven of his blocks came in a two game stretch against Ohio and Jackson state. Yeah, of course. So like, yeah, you know, let's, let's yeah, just no, like, I'm not trying to like overdo take it, it for what it is. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, exactly. Um, so I like, I, main point because like i've seen like some maybe Jet howard is a weak side room protector takes and i'm like no i don't know about that let's let's no. chill on that um the off-ball defense has been a little bit rough too and i think that's more where the defensive feel comes into play um the screen navigation i think there are moments of the screen navigation being okay on tape but it's mostly bad right now um which again like i i think that there's room for that to improve part of that is the hips i think also it's just he is not great at dipping his shoulder right now. Like he just gets caught high a lot. Um, so I think there are things that it can, can really wrap out, but a lot's just going to depend on where does he go that helps him improve on those things. Uh, because right now it is like, it's very actively negative for, for Michigan. Right. Okay. So now's your favorite time of the show. And it's where I start to ask you, this guy or that guy? Ooh, I, I do um, like this because it makes me think a lot. <laughs> yeah. So Jet Howard or Terrence Arsenault? Oh, I would say Jet Howard. I like Terrence, but Jet at his size, I think he's a much better passer. Um, and I would actually go as far as he's a better ball handler. Um, I like, again, I like Terrence a lot. I think he's a first round guy for me for sure. But like, I, yeah. even with Jet's efficiencies, I'd have him close to the lottery right now. And I think that's based just on, how some of the other guys have turned out so far. Um, but yeah, I would go Jet. I would go Jet. I like Terrence's defense, I think, a little bit more than you do and his upside long-term, which changes. It's almost like different roles to me, yeah. those two, even though they're both like, you know, 6 6-ish wings that are long. You know, in Terrence's case, he's super long at the very I think least. my issue with Terrence more so, like, and I think Terrence is really fun and really good, but like – and I, I believe in like the ball handling and his ability to attack closeouts. And he is, he's a solid passer for his role too. Um, yeah. But I think my issue is going to be more so defensively. Like he has looked really small in some games. Um, yeah. I, like I if th- you told me he ends up measuring it like six, three, seven, five without yeah. shoes, that wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. Like he has the benefit of being a much better, like way, way better offensive player. But like, I do think he's going to have some of the same Nate hidden issues, like in terms of like, even though he is really active and in the right places and has length, he is caught between like being a two and a three, which just inherently I think has been an issue for guys at times lately. Again, not meaning that just to be a full knock on him, but that's just to understand reasoning for why I'd be higher on Jet. Okay. Jet Howard or Bryce Sensabaugh? I, <laughs> man, see, it's so like the, the two most polar opposite kinds of players, uh, as right. wings, it feels like. I think I would go Jet. Like, I, I would too. Bryce is really Thank interesting, but like, Bryce is totally a guy who I feel like he has to go to the right team. Um, but he's, I mean, he is interesting. Can you, well, I, I picked the one guy that's a worse defender than Jet Howard. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know what would be a really interesting fit just to see what the hell would happen? Bryce Sensabaugh, Miami Heat. Yeah, I would love it. Uh, that is where I would love him to go. Yeah. Like, I, I think that'd be fantastic. Let's do it. Yeah, I want Lock it. Lock it in right now. Um, 
this is where we start to get really fun. Dariq Whitehead or Jet Howard? This, see, this one's tough. Like, I going off pre college sample, I'm taking Dariq Whitehead 10 times out of 10. Um, okay. I am a little bit concerned about what he's looked like so far, but I also want to reserve judgment until we get some more time. Um, if this is what Dariq looks like the entire year, then I think it's it's a bigger question. Yeah, and that will require a significant amount of like intel work, yeah. finding out like because I've said throughout the year, I, I think Dariq looks like he's playing a bit heavy compared to what he was uh, back when he was at Montverde, right? 100%. Like it, he just looks thicker through his chest because maybe he wasn't able to work out quite as much while he was dealing with the injury early in the season. Yeah. So I agree with you that I want to see more of Dariq Whitehead. Grady Dick or Jet Howard? Jet. I, I would take Jet. I think Jet's a better shooter. and Strong agree. Yeah. And is it who's, – who's the better – who's the least harmful – less harmful defender? Jet is, Jet is a better defender than Grady yeah, Dick, probably. I would say. Gigi Jackson or Jet Howard? It just depends on the team for me because, like, I because we had the talk last week. I think, yeah, I think it depends on the team for me. Like, if all right, so let's say, well, I almost said if it's the Indiana Pacers, take Gigi, but I Rick would not like Gigi. Um, so I think Jet would much definitely be the Indiana guy. Um, yeah, I think again, it, it definitely depends on the team. I think that there's maybe. I would I would probably say Jet right now just because of I, I trust in his his skill set a lot more right now. As of right now, I think I would take Gigi and his upside while acknowledging that it might look dumb to do so. Because he I think that Jet is like a year and a half older than Gigi something yep. like that like it's a it's not it's a not insubstantial age difference yeah between no, the two fair. um in Gigi has shown me just enough in terms of like potential upside as a shot creator particularly on mid-range jumpers that I would be willing to take a roll of the dice on the defensive upside yeah I think he could bring compared That's to fair. Jet yeah but um, that that is one where I need so much more information on both of them and that I think we're going to get it at some point. Yeah. Uh, okay, so you're a little bit higher on Jet than I am. So let's go into a sore Thompson. Oh, I, I would take a sore. I, I think okay. that's pretty easy for me. Keontae George or Jet Howard? Keontae. That's one where I'm not sure anymore. Really? Okay. I know that Keontae struggled. I need to. My goal tomorrow is to watch a lot more Baylor, but. Um, I am still a Keontae believer just because he's going to carry a lot more usage. Um, I think he's a much better defender than, than jet um, even yeah. being a smaller player. So I just believe a lot more in what he's going to be. Um, but again, I need to, I need to watch more Baylor to have a better, better idea on that one. But I think like that one's probably the closest one out of all of them. These ones are very close. Okay. Yeah. Last one, the guy that he played on Sunday, case Wallace. Ah, man, probably Kaysen because Kaysen's going to be just about other than, I mean, obviously other than Victor, Kaysen's going to be the best defender in this class, probably. Um, Especially when you're factoring in like what he brings offensively to actually be on the floor. I still have questions about him offensively though. Like I think as good as he is, and not, yeah, and I know that you do. And I think like as good as he is defensively, like there are some real like 
a lot needs to happen for him offensively for me to feel a little bit better about where he's at. Um, but the yeah, big I mean, thing like, for me on Kaysen is that he's starting to take shots directly off the catch and just firing now. Mm-hmm. Like if he can do that, if he can literally just catch, take him off the hop, shoot immediately. I think that that changes things for him somewhat substantially Oh, uh, in terms of being able to play like a early role and work through some of the on ball reads at a more substantial level uh, as he develops throughout his NBA career. Yeah. So I would take Kaysen, but like it's a similar conversation to what I thought about earlier this week where I was just trying, or like I was asking like people, Brandon Miller or Kaysen Wallace. And I was like, I think I would rather take Brandon because I think that just having a guy at six foot nine that can be somewhat switchable defensively and can shoot at a high level is just way more valuable than a guy that's six foot three. Jet is where like the line of demarcation kind of becomes interesting to me as like a big six foot eight wing who can shoot and do things on the ball. Cause theoretically that guy is more valuable than a six foot three guard. But Kaysen plays a little bit bigger than being six foot three because he's so strong and physically stout through his chest and through his lower half that I think that there's a little bit more um, size to him and then not quite enough size to Jet in terms of the way he plays defensively. Definitely. And I think, you know, just going off that too, I knew that Michigan was losing the game and watching as soon as Severe Wheeler hit a uh, an off-the-back foot pull-up three. Um, remember when that happened really in the game? I, I watched him like, oh, so this is what happened today. Um, but, yeah, I mean, th- their offense is at least starting to get more palatable. They've, like, run more stuff through Antonio Reeves, which has been good because uh, he's very fun and he's good. They actually ran an off-ball action to get C.J. Frederick an open three. Like, they ran, like – you know, a double stagger, like almost like ghost screen action that was weirdo, like bizarre and was really, really hard to guard. And it was just like, oh, OK, like do that more. That That's how you make CJ Frederick valuable. Do that. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. It's like what where has this been the entire time? But, you know, they didn't ask yeah. me um, the talented team. But, yeah, I got to got to figure some of that stuff out. Um, yeah. I really wish you hadn't evoked Gigi Jackson's name, not because I don't like Gigi, but more like it made me think about the fact that Georgetown has lost the uh, the worst high major team bowl um, <laughs> to South Carolina in overtime, which is Jesus Christ. Um, what a what a game. I have not watched that game yet, so I'm not going to pretend glad. to uh... – <laughs> even guess what happened there it did not seem like a fun time georgetown uh georgetown has sienna coming up tomorrow and, and then good. So, syracuse xavier connecticut back to back to that that's game against syracuse is on abc like that's atrocious like i yeah. get it because it's an old rivalry game no no i i did i'm like dreading watching i'll watch it because judah mince is gonna play um yeah. But yeah, that's just. Are you, are you excited to watch JV and McCollum just absolutely annihilate uh, everything that they do? I am because I haven't watched Sienna play yet this year, and I know I need to watch JV and McCollum, so I'm excited about that. Yeah, um, I'm not. I think excited. some of the draft stuff with McCollum is a little bit aggressive. 
to be honest. I saw somebody say that he was Bones Highland, and I was like, okay, well, I need to see that before I'm ready to to go into that. But um, it makes me excited to watch him. I'll say that. Yeah, more of a point than Bones. Um, Just a little bit wilder in terms of like decision making he 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 has ups he has real upside to where like if he turned into an nba player i wouldn't be surprised but like really needs to work through the, the decision making tree given that like he's somewhere between six one and six two i would say yeah okay but an interesting player very interesting yeah player. well a six one six two guard who can score is going to absolutely tear up georgetown so yeah um, especially one that's as fast as he is because he's like i i do get the bones thing because jv mccollum is like exceptionally skinny like i i don't know if you've even like really even watched any clips yet he is like if you told me he was 160 pounds i believe it like oh boy. totally okay um so it's going to be that. That's why I'm like I don't really buy it as an NBA yep. guy at this point. But there is some real skill and real upside there that could be interesting down the road. Okay, well I'm excited to watch him then. Um, all right, that's all I got for you, Mark. This has been the Game Theory Podcast that ended up being in two parts on YouTube and in two parts on Twitter. Uh, what's going on? Tell the people you wrote a Diamond Miller piece. Yes, yeah, tell which about was the Diamond Miller really piece. fun. Um, so I did my first. Uh, first draft piece on the 2023 WNBA draft. It's being discussed as a two to three, as a two player draft right now. And I, I get it to a degree. Aaliyah Boston's like a generational talent. Haley Jones is going to be incredible out of Stanford. Um, Diamond Miller is really fun though. She plays at Maryland. Maryland's in a really weird place. Cause they had, I think they had four of five tra- starters transferred on a, uh, on a really good team last year. And Diamond was the one player who came back, and she was coming off of a knee injury too. Um, and she's been stellar. Like, I think the best way that I can explain her in this format, um, she is a ridiculously talented driver. Um, so she's 6'3", so think 6'8", when scaling up to the NBA. Um, and she has just incredible balance and footwork and the way that she drives the lane. She's like a good, not great passer. She has some turnover issues. Part of that's because their spacing isn't great. They have a five who mostly pops in the mid range and isn't really a roller. So she doesn't have anybody to like work on her pick and roll playmaking with, but she can run pick and roll. Um, She takes a lot of threes and almost all of them are self-created or pull-ups, which makes it interesting to project out. Like she's just the kind of prospect that, when looking at the WNBA, we haven't really seen a ton of. She has like the ability to part of what's fun, like Brenda Fries, who's Maryland's head coach, is a really good tactician. They have some incredible out-of-bound sets that I absolutely love. And like they did some stuff against Notre Dame, who really good team this year, uh, to use her, you know, a like they'll use her as a screener and then fire off actions, a ton of stuff with elevator screens to try and force switches and just get her like because they they were doing anything like if you if you can get a guard on her she's too strong and she's got a, a solid enough handle where you can't really get the ball away from her by just putting a smaller player on her um if she gets a big in space good lord it's over um because she's just way too quick um and then her transition stuff is unreal she's in like the 99th percentile and amongst all players and in college basketball right now and transition scoring. And then she's got really good touch too. Like she has a floater. Um, Everything is, is really good there. So like, and then she brings a lot as like a, she, she's, she's more of a tweener four or five who has like the athleticism of a guard um, who can, who can rotate, who can, 
defend up a little bit, but is much better at like being a backline defender and has switchability too. And she's just like incredibly fun because I, I explained it like, uh, are you a video game guy at all? Here and there. I explained it. It's kind of like a role-playing game. Like think of it like all of these like trees where you can branch out skill-wise when you're starting a game. Yeah, I, I explained yeah, it. I'm yeah. like, Diamond is like starting the game with, skill branches in every direction when in reality most people are getting cordoned off in, in into one and like that's right. just incredibly enticing because the foundation of skills already is like that's so good like there aren't a lot there just aren't a lot of players to do that the game is in a different place in the w in terms of what space and pace is but it's starting to change especially at last year um so when you think about what that can do lineup versatility wise um I'm really excited. So I wrote about her. Uh, that's over at WNBA.com. So as someone who doesn't know the rules to the WNBA draft, can you explain to me why Caitlin Clark is not eligible for this draft? You have to be 22 uh, to be that's draft it. eligible, um, which makes it. Yeah, no, I agree. I wish that it would be like part of what is so incredibly fun about, about this is like, you can see these players and no, like, if I could draft them in this coming draft, I would take them in the top five. Like, there's this yeah. – I'll have to send you clips of her. She has one of the best shot releases I've ever seen. Her name is Sonia uh, Citron. She plays for Notre Dame. Um, she's a sophomore this year. And just, like, I think I would consider her the best wing prospect that the W is going to see over the next probably three years based on everyone I've seen. Interesting. Um, and she's still going to be in college for two more years. So it's like she was ACC freshman of the year last year. Just yeah. really, really good. Um, so it's fun because like you're, it's kind of in that wave now where like, I feel like we started to really see this the last couple of years with, with college prospects, um, in the, in the NBA and looking at like, Oh, look, all these wings who are or more like forwards, like the fours who are really capable of handling right. and all the guys who are dribble past shoot guys that wouldn't have been that in the past because they grew up watching Steph Curry. Like, okay, now we're getting that with on the W side and that's like, incredibly exciting because like just seeing the right. proliferation of talent and, and game change is really fun like that. Yeah. The two players in women's basketball and college women's basketball I've seen where I'm like, okay, they could actually like change the pace and space aspects of like the WNBA and the minimal games of Washington WNBA Sabrina and Caitlin Clark. I'm just like, Sabrina is just so good in ball screens, like being able to navigate and do a number of different things. Then Caitlin Clark's range is just ridiculous. Like in every single capacity. Yeah. I actually have a cool thing. I don't know if I ever told you this, but I interviewed Sabrina this last year. Um, first of all, one of the most like uh, intense people I think I've ever <laughs> met and talked to. And she was really kind. She was great. She was really, really great. But like mm -hmm. more like anytime I asked the question, she was like, just like super direct, like, oh, you know, like this, this, and this, like we did like a, a play breakdown type thing. And um and it was funny because I, I mean, as you know, in covering the draft, uh, people don't like to be called combo guards. Um, like there's just an inherent like badness yeah. to being called a combo guard. She called herself a combo guard because um, it was it was hilarious. I was like, this is like, and I, I wouldn't think of her like that either. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's funny because they the Liberty did a ton this year where they experimented with different ball handlers at the one just yeah. to get her off ball. So that she, because like the, they started with her like kind of running everything off through ball screens and just being like the most pick and roll dominant offense in the league. And so every team was just like, all right, we're just going to three quarter court press you and go crazy and try and 
you know, do everything we can to deny ball screens and make your life a living hell. And it it was a struggle for them. Like I think they well, and they, they they brought the French woman as Marine well. Marine Johannes point, was like, oh right? my god, she's yeah, amazing. yeah. Um, and so they started diversifying the offense a little bit. And yeah, so it was funny because I was talking to her on like what it was like playing with with other guards who were, were handling the ball more. She's like, yeah, I've like I've always been a combo guard and. Like I'll, I'll just never forget. I did like a total double double take on my yeah, team. Like, like an all star calling themselves a, a combo guard is just not something that uh, I would ever expect to hear. Yeah. No. I mean, I, I watched. I don't know. Maybe like three or four Liberty games, and I was like, the Johannes woman. I was like, oh my god, she is. She rules. She's, <laughs> she's dude. Amazing. I remind me to do this. I have a bunch of her French league stuff clipped. Like just the most audacious passer i think yeah. i've ever seen like and the like, most fun in it's, the and it's like it's effective too like it's not just like oh she doesn't turn over the ball a ton like and she's also too like okay she's taking like running sideways one-legged threes and right. hitting them at a high level she'll take floaters from like just inside the three-point arc like her scoring craft and abilities is insane. If I remember correctly, I was talking to somebody, a, a French person who is like a big fan of her game that follows me because of my W content. And they're like, yeah, I, like she actually grew up playing water polo, which is why like you see some of like the in- absurd craftiness in her passing. And um, cause she does like, just like palming the ball and just like wrapping it. It's like, she is like for anybody who's never seen her play before, she's legitimately the most fun playmaker I've ever watched play basketball. Like, yeah, it's Jason Williams. Liberty games are incredibly fun. They are unbelievably fun to watch. Like some of the most fun I've had watching basketball at any level this year has been watching Sabrina and Johannes like play together and just like do wild shit together. It's very, they have like Dee Dee Richards and like, yeah, the super fun team, super, super fun team. Um, Mark, I'm glad we, we needed to do women. It's been a while since we've done women's basketball corner on the pod. So I'm glad that we got a chance to do that. Um, I'm glad we got a chance to do Mark's prospect of the week with Jet Howard. We talked for 40 minutes on this stream. I don't know how that happened. Um, we were planning on going for like 15, but worth it. Uh, Mark, tell the people where they can find your work. You can find me on Twitter at MG underscore Schindler. Um, I should have plenty of stuff coming out the next couple of days. I went to uh, I went to South Bend to go watch Notre Dame and UConn play. And I got to sit in on uh, on a Notre Dame practice. That was awesome. I'll tell you more about it off air because I can't actually talk much about that. But um, no. point being, I have content coming out from that um, that I'm really excited about. Uh, and yeah, plenty of NBA stuff coming too. Um, it's going to be a busy week of writing, but it's going to be a good one. I love it. I'm so excited for you to have some stuff go up. I'm in the middle of draft guiding and doing a bunch of different stuff on the back end prep for draft season right now. So I don't know if I'm going to have anything this week, maybe next week. I might have something fun coming. We'll see in terms of the timing when all of that will come, but go subscribe to the game three podcast on Apple Podcasts on Spotify. Go to Game Theory Podcast with Sam Vecini over on YouTube. Subscribe there. Keep it locked here. We'll be back on Friday or Saturday uh, with more. I know that. I just don't know who it'll be with yet. But until next time, we will talk soon. Bye.